नमस्ते वेलकम टू एंथ्रॉपिक कथा अ पॉडकास्ट टू सेटिस्फाई योर क्यूरियस फिजिक्स ब्रेन टुडे वी विल बी डिस्कसिंग द स्टैंडर्ड मॉडल ऑफ पार्टिकल फिजिक्स व्हिच इज द क्लोजेस्ट वी हैव एवर गॉटन टू अ प्रूवन थ्योरी ऑफ एवरीथिंग वन थिंग टू नोट बिफोर वी मूव ऑन दिस इज वेरी मच अ पॉडकास्ट सीरीज एंथ्रॉपिक कथा विल कवर अ लॉट ऑफ पार्टिकल फिजिक्स एंड स्टैंडर्ड मॉडल लाइज एट द बेसिस ऑफ पार्टिकल फिजिक्स इट इज इंपॉर्टेंट दैट यू अंडरस्टैंड दिस मॉडल सो यू कैन हैव अ गुड टाइम understanding the further more complex discussions that we're going to be having in the future all right i'm your host priti gumer and let's get into it for all our lives we've been told atoms are the building blocks of matter and while that's a true statement to an extent no one ever takes the time to really dive into the complexity and reality of what we really are We are matter. We are made of matter and in fact matter is atoms. But atoms are also something else that nobody ever takes the time to educate you about. Essentially, atoms could be compared to Legos, which can combine to create wonderful things like buildings. There's even a Lego city somewhere. But when someone takes a magnifying glass and tries to really examine one piece of Lego, which means one atom, we see that it has multiple micro Legos. These could be compared to the protons, neutrons and electrons. These are what make up the atom that is supposedly the building block of matter. Okay. So that brings about a lot of points. Is there something underneath the shell of these protons and neutrons and electrons maybe? Yes, to an extent there is. If we put these microlegos under a stronger sense of magnification or machinery, we see that there still is something left to uncover you can compare these to something like nano legos which further bind together to create micro legos which are protons or neutrons and then those protons or neutrons bind to create the atom which is a lego all right so the standard model is all about holding these nano legos and all its different kinds in one organized chart to explain each of their properties before we talk about the standard model it is important to discuss the four fundamental forces that particle physics is all about essentially particle physics is a study of how these fundamental particles fundamental particles as in the nano legos we just talked about move around interact with each other to form these bigger chunks of matter like atoms molecules organs organisms and what not the four main fundamental interactions or forces that affect particle physics and also govern all the laws of physics today in this universe are the strong nuclear force the weak nuclear force the electromagnetic force and gravity first off the strong force very aptly named it binds the neutrons and protons all together If this force wasn't the strongest force of all, all matter would melt away into fundamental pieces of dust just like after the big bang. Then let's talk about the weak force. It is not the weakest force of all counterintuitively, but it is the second weakest and it converts subatomic particles or any fundamental particle for that matter into others to perhaps conserve energy. For example, the in the beta decay, which is a type of weak interaction, the neutron converts into a proton. 
which actually leaves byproducts of an electron and a neutrino. This is sort of a way to recycle particles to conserve as much energy as possible. Then the electromagnetic force is the second strongest force out of the four. It essentially operates on charges, and the stronger the charge you have, the greater the bond. A lot of what we see in the classical world, which is friction, normal force, visible light, all of these are more simple manifestations of this force in action. On an atomic level, it binds electrons to the nuclei of atoms, and it also binds different atoms together using the polarity factor to create molecules. Finally, last but technically the least, is the gravity, which is the least strong force. It is related to mass, and you may think that gravity is so super strong, it is what binds sun to the earth, sun to the center of this galaxy, which is a black hole. It is a logical question, and that is what puzzles physicists to this day. There is still no explanation for why gravity is the weakest force when it can bind the sun and the earth from all this distance. A reasoning that physicists and scientists give is that it cannot affect any interaction at the particle level. For example, the strong force has no problem going against gravity. Or if we zoom out a little bit more, we see that a magnet can easily pick up an atom off the force of gravity from the earth. Why is that? We don't know. Hopefully we'll be able to get answers to this in the near future. Alright, forces out of the way. It is now time to explore the particles that work around these forces using the standard model. So the standard model is like a chart, as I mentioned before, and it also categorizes its different particles like the periodic table does. For example, the periodic table has the metals, the non-metals, and the metalloids. The standard model has matter and force. Two categories. Matter particles could also be referred to as the fermions, while the force particles are more commonly known as the gauge bosons, because not all the particles in that category are force particles. Let's start with the fermions. The fermions are actually further divided into two kinds of matter particles, quarks and leptons. Let's start with quarks. So the quarks have six different flavors, and flavors is the term that is used to describe their different varieties. The two main flavors are the up and down quarks. Up quarks have a positive two-third elementary charge, while the down quarks have a negative one-third elementary charge. It is also important to note that the down quarks are a little more heavy. These quarks are what make up the protons and neutrons. If you put three of these together in a specific permutation, you get either a neutron or a proton or another different type of hadron, which we will discuss in a further episode. For now, you need to know that two down quarks and one up quark creates a neutron. And why? Because a neutron always has a neutral or a zero charge. Two down quarks means a negative two-third charge because each down quark has a negative one-third charge. Two of them creates a negative two-third charge. And then one up quark adds a two-third charge because an up quark itself has a charge of two-third. If you put these together, we get exactly a zero charge. Now, the proton is 
sort of the opposite, and it is supposed to have a positive one charge. But to achieve that charge, we must have another type of permutation of quarks to create it. This permutation includes two up quarks and one down quark. And that is because each up quark has a positive two-third charge. If we have two of these, we get a positive four-third charge. Then we include a down quark. We subtract a third and we get exactly a positive one charge. Now I know that was a lot of math and it was a lot of nitty-gritty, but this will actually be so helpful to know. Alright, so the first generation out of the way, we have the second generation of quarks, which includes another two flavors of quarks, and these two flavors are just like the up and down quarks, but are a little heavier. These are charm and strange, have the same charges as up and down, so the charm corresponds to the up quark and they both have a positive two-third charge but the charm is just a little bit heavier. By a little bit, I mean a lot. And then the strange has a negative one-third charge, just like the down quark. And it is also just a little bit heavier. Then let's move on to the third generation of quarks, which is the last two flavors of quarks as well. The last two are the top and bottom. These are the heaviest kinds of quarks you can ever find. Top quark also corresponds to the up and the charm and has a charge of positive two-third. The bottom corresponds to the down and the strange and has a charge of negative one-third. So essentially the top, charm, and up quarks have the same charges. They're just organized in generations. So if you create a top quark and you decay it a little bit, you can create a charm quark. And if that decays a little bit more, you, you finally reach the most fundamental state of an up quark. Same thing on the other side. The bottom quark is the heaviest. It decays a little bit into the strange, then the down quark. Now you may wonder what the significance of this hierarchy of quarks is. And if the most important quarks are up and down, because those are the ones that create the protons and neutrons, why do we even need the other quarks? That's a very valid question, and that still puzzles scientists to this day. In fact, these heavier varieties of quarks, top and bottom and charm and strange, are never found out in the wild. We didn't even know they existed until we were testing someday in a particle accelerator. And that too, their existence only lasted about a tenth of a millisecond. Now that baffles me. Such particles are unable to sustain themselves in the wild on their own, yet they still exist. Why is that? What fundamental rule of nature is causing them to do this? Why do such particles even have the option to exist? Because they are not able to create anything productive out of them. Maybe there is a part of the universe that is able to sustain these and create some other sort of matter which is not created of atoms like the matter we know of. This raises theories on dark matter, dark energy, and whatnot. Anyway, these heavier varieties like top and bottom, charm and strange, can all decay down into up and down quarks, which is why up and down quarks are the most prevalent. Even if we create that top quark in a particle accelerator by providing enough energy to the system, 
After that tenth of a millisecond, it will decay into a charm quark. And finally, a twentieth of a millisecond later, it will result in an up quark. And that's why these up quarks and down quarks are the most prevalent and are able to create these protons and neutrons and then the nucleus of an atom. Next up, I believe it is worthy to talk about the other type of matter particles, which are the leptons. The other kind of fermions, in other words, these are often referred to as the lighter particles because the word lepton literally means lighter particle. We'll further discuss the other differences between these two types of particles, as in quarks and leptons, after a little bit about the leptons themselves so that you get a little bit of a summary of what they are. So much like quarks as well, leptons also arrange themselves in two main varieties, which further have their three generations. So like the two up and down quarks, which are the two main ambassadors of quarks in a way, the leptons have their ambassadors as well. One of them is much well-known, and it is called the electron. That might be surprising to you, because all of this episode we've discovered that protons and neutrons are composite pieces of matter, and they also have something that creates them. But from what we know so far in science, the electron is a fundamental particle in itself, and remember they're also the ambassador lepton, which means they're the smallest that type of lepton can get. So they're pretty fundamental. Okay, so that was the first ambassador. Let's look at the other ambassador, which is called the neutrino. They are one of the coolest particles in my opinion, because they are able to have almost zero mass, which allows them to be able to travel at near light speed. In fact, Trillions of them are passing through just the tip of your toe right now. They're so small that as of right now, we have no evidence that they actually exist. But the math and the science proves that they do. Anyway, the neutrino is the other ambassador, and it is slightly different from the electron, as in it does not have a charge, hence the name neutrino. Neutrino, in fact, means smaller but neutral. Alright, moving on to the three generations that exist within the leptons. The first generation are the electrons and the neutrinos, like we talked about, as they're the ambassadors. The second generation makes both of these varieties a little bit heavier. Talking about the electron family, the second type of electron, which is a little heavier, is called the muon. Muon is about 36 times heavier than the electron. And it's, it's almost just like the electron, but it's just a lot heavier, which makes it difficult to sustain in normal, natural environments. Then we also have another particle which is heavier than the muon, and that's called the tau particle. The tau is also the same negative one charge as the other two, but is much heavier. In fact, it's around 200 times heavier than the muon, which is quite heavy. Okay, on to the other side, which is of the neutrinos. 
This side is not very distinctly named as the first type, the first generation of neutrino is actually named the electron neutrino. Guess what the second generation would be called? Yes, the muon neutrino. And then the third generation, tau neutrino. Most often and the fastest particles in the neutrino family are the electron neutrinos because, of course, they're the lightest and they can travel the fastest because they have the lowest amount of mass. The other two varieties often decay into this lighter electron neutrino. After laying out this solid foundation, I think it is now time to discuss a difference between leptons and quarks. So, of course, we know that leptons are a little bit lighter than quarks. But one thing that's super important is that leptons cannot interact with the strong force. Strong force, as I mentioned before, is how the different parts of a nucleus join together to create that nucleus. Now that we have discussed a lot about quarks, you must know that protons and neutrons are created from these quarks. So that means that a nucleus is basically just quarks, just in different permutations and orders to create the different particles like protons and neutrons into that one big fuse of a nucleus. So that means that the strong force can only interact with the quarks and the leptons are left to be on their own. Which is quite accurate actually because that is the sole reason why you can find a singular electron on its own out and about. Because it doesn't have the bind and the restriction that comes with having to interact with the strong force. As I said before, the strong force is the strongest, most fundamental force. And if you have the ability to interact with it, as in if you are a quark, you cannot stay on your own because the attraction that comes from the strong force is so strong that it trumps the electromagnetic force. If you may have noticed, the quarks have negative and positive aspects to them. The down quark has a negative one-third charge while the up quark has a positive two-third charge. But that is not the reason they come together. You will also find that two up quarks are able to attract to each other even though they have the same charge, which is contrary to our beliefs about magnets. But it is not true that the electromagnetic system is failing. It is just that the strong force is even stronger than that electromagnetic bond between the up quarks or the up and down quarks. I hope that made sense. Anyway, one more thing to note is that we've often been told that atoms are the building blocks of matter. And while that's true, it doesn't address the level of complexity you need to be on par with particle physics as of today. Atoms have long been proven to have different particles that make them up, like the protons, neutrons, and electrons. But now we know that the protons and neutrons are further made of more fundamental particles, more tiny particles, which are the quarks. And then the electron is a lepton. So that means that quarks and leptons are the building blocks of matter when we address the proper level of complexity. Alright, that was a great introduction to the matter particles or the fermions. It sums up the first half of the standard model very well. Now I would like to give a brief introduction to all the force particles or the gauge bosons that make up the other half of the standard model. 
This introduction will serve as a great familiarity point to these forces and will hopefully make it easier to understand when we dive into more complex discussions on each of the specific fundamental forces in coming episodes. So, first, let's talk about how many gauge bosons there are. There are five, but that doesn't mean there's five forces. Two of them correspond to one of the forces, and one of them is not even part of any of the four forces. Which, if we do the math correctly, that means there's only three forces that are explained by the standard model's particles. And that's correct. Recall back to our conversation on the forces. Gravity is not explained by the standard model because as of now we haven't discovered its force particle. Right off the bat, I believe it is important to understand what and how these force particles do what they do. So in two of the four forces, a force particle is exchanged between the matter particles to carry out the specific interaction. Let's dive deeper into that. And for that, I'd like to first discuss the electromagnetic force. Electromagnetic force operates on the force particle named the photon. Now you may wonder, that sounds like the name that's given to the light particle. And yes, that's correct. But in the context of this model, this is the force particle which facilitates the electromagnetic force, but not in the same physical way. This force particle is more so an exact replica of the properties of the light particle but just without the restrictions that the physical particle would have to follow if it were in that exact location. To understand how and why this exactly works, we must understand the quantum field theory, and that will be also discussed in a further episode. But exactly why we say that it's an exact replica is so that it can make more sense mathematically. So the electromagnetic force is the second strongest one out of the four and it causes particles to attract to or repel each other because of their charges. This force also has an unlimited range and it has effects on the electrons as they attract to the nuclei which has the positive charged protons and it also has effects on classical mechanics like normal force, friction, whatnot. And another cool fact is that it also is the reason for the spin of the stars. Moving on to the strong force, it operates through another gauge boson which is called the gluon. The gluon works in a similar fashion to the photons. However, there's a lot more complexity to the gluon. Well, first of all, gluons aren't just found in one type of variety. We have eight different types of colors that they appear in. It's not that they appear in eight colors, as in visible colors. They have eight different types of varieties that are named colors. The color term sort of acts like a charge, but specific for quarks. You can find gluons in eight different types of colors, and that corresponds to eight different types of colors found in quarks as well. There's compatibility of colors when it comes to the strong force because it asks that the gluon must be compatible with the color that the quarks are available in to work with them. It's very complex, but we'll discuss this in a further episode. What you need to know right now is that a compatible colored quark exchanges a compatible colored gluon with another quark and they instantly bond. 
some experts give the analogy that a quark releases a gluon which shoots out as a trajectory it goes in one direction until it finds another quark since there's such an abundance of quarks in our universe those two just instantly fuse together there's gluons always shooting off of quarks which causes these quarks to all bond together to create a proton or a neutron and then those protons and neutrons further bind together because gluons are still shooting off of all these quarks that are already fused together in a proton or neutron to create a nucleus. Depending on the amount of energy available in that area, you can create bigger nuclei of those more complex elements that are more radioactive, etc. Finally, the last little detail about the strong force, which is certainly not the least important, is that it has a strength of around 10,000 newtons at the subatomic distance. It is that strong. It is amazing to see how foundational this force is and how, if it didn't exist, we wouldn't have the kind of complexity that exists in the universe today. Next up, we have two gauge bosons that only work with one of the forces. These two are called the W and Z bosons. These facilitate the weak interaction. In my opinion, this is the coolest fundamental force, as it truly sounds something out of the world, but to be more precise, out of the universe. But it is indeed very real and very fundamental to the existence of a lot of the types of elements that are available in our periodic table. It is a way to recycle different particles into others at the subatomic level. So, essentially, an example of this would be if there's any idle neutron in the wild, it is possible that one of its down quarks releases a W-negative boson. A W-negative boson is a type of a W boson. A W boson is found in W-plus and W-negative varieties. So it is possible that the neutron has one of its down quarks release a W-negative boson to turn that down quark into an up quark. Now if you recall, the down quark is supposed to be a heavier particle than an up quark. So when it releases that W-negative boson, it transforms into an up quark because essentially a negative charge from the down quark is released through that W-negative boson which leaves a positive remaining charge with that positive up quark. Now think about it. Essentially, if you convert one of the down quarks from a neutron into an up quark, you now have a proton. Because a neutron has two down quarks and one up quark. If you make one of its down quarks an up quark, now you have two up quarks and one down quark, which is exactly what a proton is. So we switched identities just by transforming one of the quarks. This is such an intriguing topic for me, and I would love to discuss this in a future episode. Now, the interaction I just talked about, the specific neutron changing into a proton, is called the beta decay. It serves the purpose of stabilizing the neutron while bringing it to the lowest energy level. Like I said before, the down quarks are supposed to be heavier, and since the neutron has more down quarks than a proton, it also has a larger mass than the proton. If anything has a greater mass, it's supposed to have greater energy. Physics naturally requires that if there's an option to reduce the amount of energy a particle contains, it must do that to remain stable. By converting from a neutron into a proton, the neutron is doing itself a favor and becoming more stable. Now, such an interaction, the beta decay, 
also creates byproducts. That leftover W negative boson that took away the negative charge is still left there. That could further decay into an electron and a neutrino. Hence, this force is very interesting to me and it involves both leptons and quarks and is just a beautiful interaction between all the types of fermions. Lastly, the newest addition to the standard model is certainly as, if not more important than all the other particles in the standard model. That includes matter and force particles. And it is the Higgs boson. It does not facilitate any fundamental force. It is a particle that represents its Higgs field as well. Essentially, this only manifests in the particle form if there is sufficient energy in its omnipresent field. This concept may be a little challenging because we haven't covered quantum field theory yet, but that is coming soon and I hope to make this more clear to you then. But essentially, each type of particle has a field, a corresponding field. And once you put enough energy in that field, it can create a particle form of itself in the location that the energy was input for a short period of time, depending on the amount of energy we provide to the field. So this Higgs field essentially is what gives everything in this universe its mass. All matter, all particles, all molecules, everything in this universe has a mass because of the Higgs field. How and why is another topic for another day. Let's talk a little bit about how it was predicted and what happened and why it happened. So this particle had long been predicted by the standard model after Peter Higgs and other scientists theorized that there was an existence of a Higgs field in 1964. Now, when I mentioned it to you that this Higgs field is what gives every type of matter in this universe its mass, it must have been such a foreign concept to you, and you must have raised your eyebrows. But imagine scientists like Peter Higgs and his team theorizing the existence of such a field in the year of 1964. That's when they hypothesized and did experiments and studies to theorize the existence of this field. I imagine this was even before the standard model was put together. Standard model was put together in the 1970s, in fact. Now, it was only in 2012 where scientists at CERN in Switzerland finally proved the theories by discovering the actual particle at the Large Hadron Collider. Large Hadron Collider is the biggest piece of machinery on the planet, and it was specifically created to discover the Higgs boson. And that is what amazes me about science. That is why I love science. Scientists know and believe in their skill in the field of physics, in the field of math. They know that when physics and math combine, there would only be truth. Scientists believe in each other, in each other's theories. They work hard. They spend money because they have the belief that what they are trying to find is there. And right now, there is so much that scientists believe in, but we just don't have the technology to find it yet. And that is why we need people like you and me to go out there, explore, make mistakes, yet still work hard 
to make a difference, to find all these new and interesting and life-changing discoveries that could change the face of the world today. Remember, anyone, including you, has the capability of making a difference, of creating the next breakthrough, of finally cracking the code to the theory of everything. We're not there yet. Remember, gravity? But I know that if we work hard, we can get there. And that is it for today's episode of Anthropic Katha. Remember, you have the power.